Well, hello there. This is John Byrne at Business Casual, our weekly podcast from Poets and Quants. I'm here with my two co-hosts, Caroline Diarty Edwards, who's been traveling around the national parks, <laughs> has gone to the Grand Tetons and Yosemite, right? Yellowstone. Yellowstone, of course. <laughs> Yellowstone. I've seen the photographs on her Facebook posts, and I'm incredibly jealous. So is Maria Wickvilla, who's also here, <laughs> the founder of Applicant Lab. And Caroline, of course, is the former director of admissions at NCAD and the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions. And we're going to talk a little bit about a big development, really, in business education. It occurred just last week. Ernst & Young, the big accounting and consulting firm, part of the big four, announced a partnership with uh, Holt International Business School to offer its employees a free online MBA. It's the first time anyone, any major corporation has actually done this. There have been instances where corporations have run small programs with uh, local business schools to get their you know, employees MBAs or at least their managers, but nothing of this order. Ernst & Young has over 300,000 employees. The average age of an employee to, at e y is 28, which is a really interesting age, as we all know, for, for being the open window uh, pretty much for full-time MBA programs. This program can be taken while you work with clients. In fact, some of your work with clients will be part of the experiential piece of the program. You can complete it in as short as 18 months or six years. Ian Y is saying they expect the average person who takes this up will spend maybe four years to get the free MBA from Hull. Caroline, what do you make of this? Well, for Ian Y, I think it makes it, it makes some sense, right? It, I mean, they're acknowledging that there's a lot that you can gain from an MBA program that has wide applicability for their organization. So, you know, the knowledge that you will gain from that broad foundation. Of, um, of the curriculum, I imagine they'll have the typical offering for the, for the foundational program and then some interesting elective options that would be relevant for ENY. So it's a nice opportunity for their employees. Probably, I would imagine people who will take this up are not the, the potential candidates for, for M7 schools who will be thinking, you know, either I'm going to go to Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, or I'm going to pursue this online MBA at Hult. I imagine it's, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a different population, but they have the the organizational size and you know some diversity within the organization of people in you know very different geographies. Um, they have a lot of different service lines, so people pursuing quite different projects. So there is going to be some diversity, although somewhat limited, but but still nevertheless you know much more diversity than some other organizations may be able to muster. So, and I'm sure they see this as a great retention tool. As you said, if on average people need about four years to complete this, that's a great way of, of tying people in for that length of time and, and keeping your talent. Mm -hmm. True. Very true. And roughly a third of the program will be core classes in three areas, technology, leadership, and basic business skills like accounting, finance, strategy, and marketing. The rest will be electives. And it sounds to me, based on my conversations with EY, that a lot of the electives will be based in emerging technologies. So in addition to the benefits of recruiting and retaining employees, part of this is keeping their 
employee base upskilled in things like artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, data visualization, obviously data analytics, things that they have to or should be, you know, on the leading edge of in consulting with their clients. So that's sort of another aspect of this. They had already some sort of badge program of micro-credentials. They kind of did that, but this is formalizing it, creating a whole degree program out of it. Is this good, bad, or neutral for the business schools? Maria, what do you think? To Caroline's earlier point, I what I like about this program is that I do believe in the value of the basic MBA education. I mean, I think all three of us definitely agree that the things you learn in business school are valuable. So to the extent that this is now going to make that knowledge and education much more accessible to people throughout the organization, even people who might not otherwise perhaps be competitive for a an elite MBA, I do think that a rising tide lifts all boats. And so if you know, if everyone in the organization or if a lot more people within the organization can attain more education, I think that's a great that's great news for E&Y. But I also don't think, you know, I don't necessarily think that this is a threat to the business schools directly insofar as, you know, one of the big benefits of going to a top MBA program, I think, is still very appealing to the typical high performers at an ENY who would otherwise go to a top MBA program insofar as getting a diversity of experiences, opinions, you know, having conversations in class with people who have radically different backgrounds from you and, you know, perhaps also opening up uh, much more potential for a career switch whereas i am i'm not entirely sure that this this program i think it might help elevate people within the eny organization but if somebody is is a high flyer at eny and they want to move out of eny and go work for like i don't know one of the fang elite tech companies or what have you I, I think those people would still opt for the traditional MBA. So I don't see this as taking away from the traditional MBA as more expanding the pie to a subsection of employees who would not otherwise have gotten this education. Yeah, really true. Uh, you know, th- this goes to another general statement that kind of needs to be made for everyone. You know, an MBA is not an MBA. <laughs> you know, we often hear those three initials. And think it's a magic credential. But in fact, you know, an MBA can be had in some places for very little time, very little money, uh, maybe not even being present. And then there's, you know, premium MBA, which is a lot of time, a lot of investment, highly competitive, hard to get in, the top professors in the world, one-on-one, the best students in the world who are out there working with companies on a regular basis as consultants who are doing serious research into all these different disciplines and bringing leading-edge knowledge to the fore. So, you know, one MBA is not another MBA. And that's something we, uh, I think, people kind of take for granted on some level. Because if you peel back what is really being offered here to EY employees, and it's a great benefit, I agree with both of you. It's an incredible perk and it's a smart perk that will retain more people. But really what they're offering is a fraction of what a true MBA experience is. To me, one of the most important things is meeting people who are as smart and intelligent and ambitious as you about their life. In other words, they don't want to settle 
for the ordinary. They want to do something special and extraordinary, and they see a highly selective MBA program as a gate that they need to pass through to do something special. And what do they get when they pass through that gate? Well, they sit in classes and they socialize with people from the best companies in the world. Not just people, but the most high achieving people from Apple, from Google, from Microsoft, from Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and McKinsey and Bain and ExxonMobil and General Electric and Procter and Gamble. And each of them bring a different and unique perspective to the business topics that they discuss in the classroom. That is entirely missing from a program that is online at one company that really, there, as far as I know, there won't even be a, a true cohort moving through it where you get to know your classmates in an intimate way and create friendships and relationships that will last a lifetime. Yeah. I was going to say, and then taking that forward, that also means that the network coming out of the program you know, I think I think a lot of people, they go to the MBA, the elite MBA programs. Yeah, sure. In part for what you learn in class. But to your point, it's not just about the friendships you make and, and the perspectives you hear during school, but it is more about having that elite network that you take with you for the rest of your life, that diverse, high achieving group of peers. And so I, you know, yeah, this is this is not going to necessarily give that the way that a traditional MBA would. But again, I don't think that this is this is meant for I can see this being like a great boon for people who are perhaps in more support roles, analytical roles, back office analysis roles, who are who can use this degree to elevate themselves within E&Y. I think it'll achieve that goal, and I think that's a good enough goal. You know, sometimes I think the best way to get ahead in the company is to make the company think that they can lose you if you're a valuable performer. <laughs> and I think an MBA from another school where you've made all these different contacts, even if you, no matter where you go, they know you have a network. They know you have more possibilities. And if you're a high performer, they may go out of, out of their way, I think, to make you a happy camper. <laughs> now, if I may just play devil's advocate on the networking front, yes. I, to I totally agree that you know, it's not the same exposure and networking that you get on an M7 program or an INSEAD or London Business School and so on. But ENY is a very large organization. They do a lot of different types of projects. They have fairly diverse workforce if you look at, you know, where people are located and True. backgrounds and so on. I actually started my career at Arthur Anderson. And I have maintained relationships with many of the people I worked with. And they're doing a lot of different things now. A, you know, a huge variety of, of paths that people have pursued. And, and that's actually a fantastic network uh, as well as my um, business school network. So I would imagine that people pursuing this program will get the opportunity to build a network internally with people around the world from different service lines. And, you know, that will be useful for them, not just while they're at E&Y, but in their future career. So I, I do think that you know, they'll be working in online teams, they will have collaboration and opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have had. And um, there are some great people in, in these organizations. As you say, you know, the average age is, is pretty young. So many of those people eventually are going on to other roles in other organizations. And so, you know, my former Arthur Anderson, I mean, obviously, Arthur Anderson doesn't exist anymore. But some of those people joined other Firms like Deloitte, like ENY, and uh, others have gone on to, you know, banking, government, all sorts of different things. And so, 
you know, it's, it still is in many ways a, a useful network. Yeah, Caroline, that's a really good point because, you know, many companies are considered academies in and of themselves, right? Yeah. Where you see, like, for example, McKinsey. You see McKinsey people all over the place in almost every company in key executive roles. EY is similar. I mean, incidentally, I know EY fairly well. And I can just tell you, they have spectacular people. They hire well. They're very likable. They're very competent. And uh, they do a great job in so many different areas. And in this case, you're going to see a lot of EY alums in CFO roles at major companies and and, and other financial and accounting, particularly uh, roles. So you're right. There is a broader network from which to benefit. And perhaps on some level, while the network might not be as well bonded because you haven't really literally gone to school, sat in a classroom, had a drink, had dinner, spent time in a extracurricular activity with them, ran a conference, competed in a case competition, whatever. Still, there is, there is that network. Uh, I mean, the other thing you miss, of course, is what many people go to business school for. Let's, let's admit it. There's a parade of highly admired and respected employers who so greatly value the MBA that they go to campuses every year several times do presentations and info sessions and drinks and meals and come back to interview for internships and then come back to interview for full-time jobs. So, you know, there's that flattery involved in being part of the MBA community at the top levels in particular of being pursued by the best and the brightest organizations in the world. Obviously, that's not going to happen with an internal MBA program. The other thing you get in an MBA program is a lot of active career management. You know, people go into a school, they don't know how to network. In many cases, they don't even know how to professionally present. In many cases, in fact, there are a lot of rough edges that need to be sanded down. (laughs) And a good MBA program with a solid career management facility does exactly that through one-on-one coaching, through numerous sessions on on presentations and even etiquette, for God's sake. Some schools actually teach proper etiquette. Oh, you're not going to get that either. You're not going to get global immersions with your classmates. You're not going to get to lead, you know, the private equity club or the finance or the uh, consulting club or or organize a major conference that brings guests from all over the world to your campus, which which is really valuable in terms of, you know, practicing and exercising your leadership muscles. So there, there are a lot of different things you lose, including probably close contact with professors, because, you know, while it's possible in an online program, in something like this, I think it's less possible. And, and in many cases, students form relationships with professors that are quite unique. If you wanted to start a company, for example, this also, this is another example where you're hardly going to be able to start, do a startup on an EY MBA. But if you go to a business school and you have any interest in doing a startup, you can, and people will help you, including the faculty, some of whom might even invest their own personal money in your enterprise. So there are all these other little things that need to be considered. But then what about EY's online program versus another online program. You know, online programs everywhere have been growing by leaps and bounds. 
There are some very good ones given how good the technology has become. There are a lot of big name schools in this business, Michigan Ross, Carnegie Mellon, Indiana University, UNC at Chapel Hill, USC on the West Coast, a lot of great schools, UC Davis and others that have very viable online MBA programs that are very robust, feature the best faculty they have, and draw an exceptionally bright and diverse group of students to them. Do you think that this program takes away from those kind of online MBA programs? No. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think so, because I think one of the, one of the things that I was sort of I, I thought was so interesting when I heard this news was that, you know, Halt is a, is a fine, it's a fine institution, but it is certainly not considered to be in the same tier as the institutions that you just mentioned. And so I was almost wondering to myself, is this like a sort of a chicken and egg? Like, in fact, will the Halt Business School name get a marketing boost because now it will start graduating these E&Y people who maybe not right away are going to move on to Caroline's point. Uh, you know, I, th- I do agree with you, Caroline, that eventually, yeah, people, you know, a lot of people are not going to stay at E&Y for the rest of their lives. And so eventually they will scatter to the different corners of the globe and, and go on to do great things. But in the short term, I think most of the people will, will perhaps stay at E&Y. So I just, I, wa- I almost wonder like if Halt almost gets more out of it in terms of like now people, now they're going to be able to point to these accomplished alumni and say, well, look at this person, look at the CFO of this company. They went through the MBA program when they were at E&Y as, as an auditor. Or or what have you, but I don't know. Again, I think if somebody is looking at the bigger picture of their career, I think they may want to consider going with a more well-established name and a more high-quality program. I, I I I have so many questions about this degree. Like if if Eny really does have, let's say, three hundred thousand employees. If even a tenth of those people sign up right away to take the MBA, how are they going to manage thirty thousand online students all at once? <laughs> sure. Right? That's it's going to be it's going to be a yeah. bit of a mess, right? So, forget about getting to know your professor. <laughs> like it's it, it might as well be like a, a one way video course in some cases. So you know, I think there's going to have to be a lot of things that have to be ironed out. And so I. I still think if somebody is like looking at a bigger picture in their career, I do think they they might see the investment in an established brand name school to be worth to be a worthwhile endeavor. Caroline, having been at NCI for so many years and whole, you know, calls itself an international business school, it does have campuses in London, in Shanghai, and many in Paris and other capitals. What do you make of the school and its reputation? <laughs> It doesn't have the reputation that's on a par um, with the top schools. But you know, as Maria said, this will be a huge boost for the school, and yeah. they'll get you know they'll build over the years a, a wonderful alumni base. So perhaps you know the school is is going on to better things, and you know it will be interesting to see if other firms pursue similar partnerships because. Although, you know, we've talked about the lack of, you know, the various elements that will be lacking from this. And, and I totally agree that for someone who's looking to make a career change through, through going to business school, this is, this is not the right option because they won't have all of those, those um, networking leadership opportunities immediately and, and recruiters and so on. But for someone who is looking to, you know, enhance their knowledge and expand their skills, 
this could be an interesting opportunity. And I know some people who, you know, I'm thinking back to some people I worked with, Arthur Anderson, who were incredibly successful in their fields. And, you know, two of them did their MBAs at Cranfield, which is not a top business school, but, you know, it's a solid program. And, you know, they, they got a lot of the knowledge and the skills that they needed to take the next step in their career. And they were able to leverage that and, and, and did incredibly well. So for, for someone who's looking at, especially if they're looking at progressing in a similar field, um, rather than, you know, making a big career change, this uh, you know, enables them to, to gain some of that foundation that will propel them forward. Do you think we're going to see more of this? It's quite possible. You know, it's, it's a wonderful partnership for the for the school, as we've said. You know, huge influx of guaranteed students year by year, and and build so building that inflow as well as the outflow and expansion of the alumni base, and a good retention school, a tool for the for the firm. So I don't see the some of the top firms, you know, the MBBs of this world pursuing this route because the consultants are. You know, wedded to the idea of going to the M seven schools or the you know the top international schools, and yeah. I think that that kind of deal is much less likely to happen. You know, McKinsey you, you, and yeah, you could see PwC or um, sure. you know, K- KPMG doing this. Yeah, probably probably not Deloitte because they hire more, you know, MBAs from highly selective schools than the other these other firms do, hmm. uh, and they're a major player there. But I could see PwC doing this in part because or KPMG. Because it's a big perk and it is a great retention tool. And you don't want to be at a disadvantage with a core rival in your competitive set. And you could actually do this at a school like University of Illinois, which has, you know, it's $22,000 IMBA program, all set up with all the courses and has used to have a, you know, uh, a top 50 US MBA program residential before it canceled it in favor of focusing on the online space. Or Boston University, which is about to come online with a $24,000 online MBA this fall. Another big, you know, university brand, Boston University, highly respected, could easily do a deal like this with a, a, a small, medium-sized, or even big company. And it could be a very valuable perk and they could uh, get the degree discounted significantly. And as you reduce all the acquisition costs of bringing in students, it could be um, very easy to do, frankly, right? Yeah. 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 And those firms have moved away from sponsoring students to go on to the, the, the full-time programs because people have gone and then not come back. So <laughs> exactly. It's like the opposite of a retention tool. <laughs> So, you know, this, this is a much better model if, if they're looking to retain their talent. I also wonder if it'll be, if if it will be maybe better than a traditional online MBA insofar as if the employer is sort of providing this as a perk and let's say I'm enrolled in this online HALTS class and there's a class at like 11 a.m. on a Thursday, uh, if I'm normally enrolled in some other third-party external online MBA, I don't know that I can just go to my boss and be like, hey, I'm not going to be in that meeting because uh, I have class. But maybe E&Y will be more flexible. Like there will be sort of the ability for people to say like, look, I- I'm going to devote yeah. three hours, you know, a few hours a week. Right. So it might be actually that really easier. makes sense. It might me. be easier for people to integrate it into their day-to-day lives, perhaps in a way that other online MBAs would not be as ah. convenient. Mm. 
That's really true. You know, I, I, that's, that's uh, a feature of the program I hadn't thought about, but I bet you're right. After all, it's your, it's your personal development and your personal develop within the company for the company is how it should be interpreted. Unlike you are in the online MBA program at Michigan Ross or UC Davis, and they're thinking, you know, you're a free agent, and once you complete your degree, you're going to make all kinds of demands on us for increased responsibilities and pay. And if we don't get them, give them to you, you're going to leave us. Yeah. <laughs> or, or an exec MBA, where it can be incredibly difficult to juggle the, 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 the workload and you know, your day job, your study, as well as traveling to the campus, all of those obligations. And, and no doubt there will be more accommodations made by the firm for, for these students. You know, bottom line, it's a fascinating development. I think it's a really innovative approach. And both EY and Holt need to be given a lot of credit for uh, putting it together and making it happen. And you can't argue with free. Free is good. I <laughs> <laughs> don't say you get what you pay for, but free is good. <laughs> There's no such thing as a free lunch, John. <laughs> <laughs> now, Maria and Caroline, I was going to use this opportunity to segue into the whole issue of should you get an online MBA or should you not and who's better suited for it. But I almost think that that is a topic for an entire podcast in and of itself, which we'll do later on. Sure. But, and so rather than do that, you know, a few more schools have talked about their plans for the fall, even though, and this is kind of interesting to me, even though Harvard University has said it's going to go pretty much online for its undergrads, Harvard Business School is inviting all of its students back. And yes, there will be a mixture of uh, online and in-person classes and all kinds of precautions being taken to make sure that everyone is safe or as safe as they can be. It's, it's an interesting diversion from the university level. Now, of course, Harvard Business School with its own campus and 32 or so buildings, and it's on the other side of the river, is, is pretty much enclosed, isolated place to protect people. Access to buildings will be limited. Guests will not be allowed on campus at all. There'll be a lot of restrictions. You won't have access to your the library or other, uh, some study rooms and things like that. I very much doubt that the Shad Fitness Center, you know, where M Maria spent many times pressing, <laughs> I doubt very much that that will be open. Lifting or those weights. beautiful tennis courts. Yes. Bench pressing tennis a thousand Right outside the Shad Center. <laughs> but it is interesting that they've taken a, this different kind of uh, approach uh, than the university has. Any thoughts about that? I mean, I think your your point about the sort of geographical distance is almost like the Charles River creates a partial moat for the HBS <laughs> campus. It is a great moat. It's, it's a, you know, there's like there's yeah, you you know. So it's it's a the fact that it is a an isolated campus from the rest of the university and B it is a primarily residential campus, right? A tremendously yes. high percentage of people either live in their dormitories on the sort of lower cost end and then there are also very nice apartments that you can you can rent all within the same walking distance campus. And so I think that that does make it easier in terms of quarantining and, and having controls over what exposure, you know, like you said, if guests are not allowed, then I think that helps tremendously in terms of isolating. Right. I mean, who knows what will happen? It's 
fascinating. Yeah. Now, Maria, w- uh, which residence hall did you live in when you were at Harvard? I was in a dorm called Morris Hall. And the benefit of that was that the rooms were teeny. The room was basically the size of a twin bed with a little bit of space on the on the side. But you got your own bathroom. And so I prioritized getting my uh, own ensuite bathroom versus getting a larger room with a bathroom down the hall. Uh-huh. But that was uh, the, either either what, option is available in the dormitories. So what was it like? It was small. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it was. I look. I loved it. I, I am a. I previously I had been living in Hong Kong prior to enrolling in business school, so living in a small space was not. You know, like I was like, yeah, I'm already living in small spaces, so I, I don't mind not having a ton of room. I thought it was nice. I thought it was a pretty nice. It certainly felt nicer than undergraduate dorms. Yeah. And did you have roommates? I did not. It was they were singles. They were teeny. Oh, they were. Each one, each oh, one wow. was single, and each one had its own bathroom. Huh. So that's what I and, and, and Caroline, when you were at NCAD, did you live in some fancy chateau? <laughs> ah, well, I, I spent most of the program in Singapore because I was living in Paris before I went to oh, that's right. So going to Singapore was more interesting than going down the road to Fontainebleau. So there, there's, there are some apartment buildings near the Singapore campus where a lot of the students live. So that was very nice. You had, you had a swimming pool and, you know, great facilities there. Ooh, um, la, but la, I, I did. I did spend eight weeks on the Fontainebleau campus and went to some fun chateau parties. So I would get a little dose of that. It was a lot of fun. I bet. You know, one of the other interesting aspects of reopening on campus, I, I just covered today. In fact, IE Business School, the uh, school in Spain, mm. largely located in Madrid, but has a campus in Segovia as well, actually now has thermal cameras that monitor in the hallways the temperature of passing students. (laughs) They also have UV ray disinfecting robots that will patrol, (laughs) I kid you not, the classrooms and the offices every evening. Okay. When Uh. students show up, they're given a pack of masks. Mask wearing is, of course, compulsory. You go into the classrooms and there are big X tapes on uh, certain spots on the desk so that people have to separate. They're not allowed to sit there. When you enter a class, the doors are shut. Then the professor enters. The professor leaves before any of the students are allowed to get up and leave the classroom. They've yeah. restricted access. You know, every entrance and exit has new protocols so that people are only going in one direction. A lot of different things like that. It's it's kind of amusing. But what's really interesting is they did a video of what life will look like for a student in a classroom with all these different guidelines, measures, regulations. You can check it out at Poets and Quants, but it's it's kind of fascinating to see, really. Uh, especially yeah. the robot. The robot's very cool, I got to tell you. <laughs> very, very high tech. Good for them. Very high tech. Now, they're also hiring more cleaning staff so that every classroom will be cleaned and disinfectant uh, as soon as class ends, before another class starts. What mm. What's amazing to me is how much thought has gone into bringing students back. I mean, it really is complicated, and it's quite a challenge. And IE was one of the few schools that actually reported three students back in March who had contracted a coronavirus. They've all recovered. But those three students back then came in contact with 200 others, all of whom had to be tested. Hmm. So, but the precautions are really, it's kind of remarkable. It's, 
I have no idea what it would be like to go to school right now. What do you two think? It's an impressive attention to detail. It's uh, you know huge undertaking for the schools. I'm sure there's a lot of knowledge sharing going on between the schools, and they're all trying to figure this out together, and um, you know share best practices and figure out the best way of handling things. So I'm sure you know a lot of what you've just mentioned will be replicated in other environments. Yeah, including handing out sanitizer to every student to begin their day with having you know the sanitizer dispensers outside every single classroom and every building entrance you know putting decals down on all the floors to remind people to maintain their social distance hmm. it's just it's just mind-boggling hmm. it is wow. it's, a, it's a lot well, good for them yeah exactly that's what i say so for every one of you out there who will be returning to school already or in the fall, which really, you know, we always talk about a fall start, but really all the MBA programs start in the summer. Usually some mid-August, late August, you end up showing up. Maybe second year, sometimes show up the first week in September. Uh, but we'll be there before you know it. I hope that you uh, are able to go back. You know, I know Dartmouth Tuck is one school actually that is completely online for the fall, uh, unlike most that have adopted a more of a hybrid format. But with coronavirus cases uh, still surging in the United States, one wonders if this continues whether some of the plans that were announced already to go hybrid will just go online. We don't know. But in any case, good luck to all of you. In the meantime, Maria and Caroline, a pleasure as always. Likewise. Likewise. And we will be with you next week at Business Casual. Thanks for listening.